Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable, also known as the Reporters Roundtable. It is effectively a discussion by current and former journalists, some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. This is also episode number 74. We do these reporter roundtables every Wednesday. So here's the way it breaks down. We're going to uh, talk about three headlines in the first segment. We'll then take a break. We'll talk about another three headlines in the second segment. Then I'm going to ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. And then finally, we'll get into the comment section of this particular podcast. What are some of the stories we're going to deal with? Well, we're going to deal with a large investment bank uh, actually predicting first quarter GDP in the United States is going to decline, which would uh, sort of go against the grain of what a lot of people were anticipating, given the fact seeing that uh, the, the possibility that a vaccine is right on the horizon. We're also going to talk about panic buying, toilet paper. Do you have enough? Well, apparently uh, stores like Walmart are running out. And uh, we'll talk about budget cuts that are coming to Broward County as a result of uh, falling student enrollment, as well as tax revenue shrinking. Second segment, we'll talk about uh, more than one out of every two houses uh, in Florida, according to their survey, is uh, behind on rent or mortgages. We'll talk about the Canadians, who were a crucial part of the local economy, both from a tourist and a um, tourism and a uh, condo perspective. They got problems going on in Canada, and how's that going to impact down here? And then finally, a developer who pro, who proposed a condo tower complex. It's actually, I think it was going to be three towers back in um, the last real estate cycle up in Fort Lauderdale. It's actually just redesigned the project, and it's going to go forward and um, try to build about 800 apartment uh, buildings rather than condos. So all that will be discussed in this podcast. It's going to be a fun uh, podcast. Um, before we get started, let me remind you, if you're not yet a subscriber to the Cotton Vultures podcast, I encourage you to do so wherever you're listening to your podcast. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating and um, leave a comment. By doing so, that should help to spread the message and the word about uh, what we do and what is it we're trying to accomplish here. And that is to try to bring straight talk to extremely overhyped condo market and real estate market in general in South Florida. And then finally, if you have a question for us, you have a tip, uh, you have a compliment, you have a complaint, any and all of the above, love to hear from you. Um, everything that we receive within um, uh, a week, we go ahead and we discuss it during these reporter roundtables, which are every Wednesday. To send that email, please send it to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So that being said, fasten that seatbelt, lean back, and get ready to learn and laugh about the biggest uh, headlines that are impacting the South Florida condo market. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of Greater Downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is my real estate and economic roundtable, or better known as the Reporters Roundtable, bringing together current and former journalists, talk about some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. Why do we do it? Well, we do it for the listener to help them understand maybe some of those in, uh, stories that might be out there that might be impacting the real estate business, whether you're a professional, you're an investor, or you're thinking about investing in the South Florida marketplace. So 
The way we do it is we, uh, we will uh, talk to four journalists, myself included. Um, we're going to kick around six uh, headlines. After that, we will then get into a prediction phase. And finally, we're going to have a comment section. So who do I have this week on the roundtable? We have John Fackler. John used to write about white-collar crime as well as public trading companies based in South Florida. Uh, one of the publications he worked at was the South Florida Business Journal. What's going on there, John? How, how are you holding up? Not too bad. I'm glad to be uh, joining some uh, normal conversation after the skullduggery in D.C. Looking forward to it. Nice, nice, nice. And we, we, anybody who listens to the podcast regularly, they know you're a big fan of birds. And given the fact that this is Thanksgiving in the United States, um, you're probably going to enjoy eating a big bird. So that being said, who else do we have? We have Jean Groose. Jean used to write about a um, variety of different topics, business-related in the state of Florida for over 25 years, including working at the Tampa Tribune. About two to three years ago, he moved to Miami with his public relations and marketing firm called Groose Communication. What's going on, Jean? Hey, Peter. Love uh, looking, always looking forward to your show, man. Nice. And we're, we're, we're glad you're on board. You bring some normalcy and some logic to it. Uh, so that's always a positive. Um, and then finally, who is our rotating journalist this week? Well, the gentleman's an author. He's written a whole series of books, as well as he is a senior reporter over at the South Florida Business Journal, known as an investigative reporter, also known as somebody who's breaking news, how he produces a number of stories. He does, and a given week is just outrageous. Who is that? Is Brian Bandell. What's going on, Mr. Bandell? Hey, I'm good. Great to be back on your show. Nice. Brian, how many, how many books have you written, and what's the uh, title of the most recent one? Just anybody who's listening, in case they want to get on Amazon and check it out. Well, I have three novels published uh, with Silverleaf Books that are also on Amazon. Uh, the latest one is called Silenced Living. It's a story about a woman with an alien infection inside her body. So it's a, kind of pertinent to the times. I would say apropos, absolutely, which is a great transition. Um, as part of these podcasts, what we've been doing is we've been uh, bringing people up to date as to what are the, the, what, what's the latest data in terms of the uh, COVID situation in the state of Florida. Um, this, all the numbers I'm going to refer to, these are coming from the Florida Department of Health, the COVID-19 dashboard. These numbers are updated uh, daily. Anybody wants to check it out, so all they have to do is type in Florida Health Department, COVID-19 dashboard, and you'll get these numbers. But let me give you some perspective of what we got going. As of the 23rd of November, which is Thanksgiving week, um, and we're doing this on Monday, the 23rd. So we have uh, just under 944,800 confirmed cases, 944,800 in terms of the number of people who have died in the state of Florida, 18,085, 18085. Now in the Tri-County South Florida area, which is comprised of Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties, we have 376,700 cases rounded up. And on the death count, 7,070 people have died. Now, how does that break down uh, county by county by county? Well, effectively, 214,300 cases in Dade, 101,000 in Broward, 61,600 in Palm Beach County. And then on the death count, just under 3,800 in Dade, 1,600 in Broward, and just under 1,700 in Palm Beach County. So, as you can see, uh, there's a decent chunk coming out of South Florida, but what I will tell you is previously South Florida was representing north of 40% of all cases and all deaths. And at this point, uh, the number of cases, we represent about 39.9% of the cases and 39.1% of the deaths. So proportionally, we're going down, which means the rest, other parts of the state 
are going up. So I don't know if that's good news, but that's sort of the situation. But but for guys, before I open it up and ask you if anybody has a, wants to comment on the COVID numbers, let me just tell you that Dr. Fauci, effectively the go-to person, the one who's brought some reason and logic to this whole pandemic, and basically has spoken uh, plainly to the to the American public, uh, he was on Face the Nation, which is a CBS program on Sunday, and in it or on it. He was talking about how uh, as the vaccine comes online, which they're going to start rolling it out in early December uh, to essential workers, uh, excuse me, healthcare workers, as well as uh, people who are at very high risk, but getting into, into the arms of many people who opt to do it by April or May. He's saying it could be a reasonably quick um, period of time before we get to a herd immunity where the thing will basically just sort of stall. So um, anybody want to uh, uh, provide any kind of insight in terms of the number of cases in Florida or uh, Dr. Fauci's prediction of reasonably quick um, uh, herd uh, immunity, possible, the possibility of it? Well, I'll just yep. say a couple of things to watch. are One, not just the number of cases, but hospitalizations, people in the hospital, because that gives an indication of really what is going to hold back our economy. Because the reason that people, states that really don't want to do shutdowns have done shutdowns is because the hospitals have been overwhelmed. Uh, so right now the hospitals are not overwhelmed, but it's getting worse. You know, we've gone, we went from, you know, you know a few weeks ago to like 2,000 people in the hospital to now 3,700 people in the hospital. Now at the worst, it was a little over 5,000. So we're not at the worst of it yet, but it's, it's trending in the wrong direction here. Yes, yes, yes. And, 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 and this is Thanksgiving week, like I keep reminding, it's a week where a lot of people get on planes and they fly to go see their family. And there was a report saying out uh, that just Sunday, the previous Sunday, a day ago, it was one of the highest in that total number of passengers going through uh, TSA, which is a security at the U.S. airports, uh, since prior to the pandemic. A million people. Yeah. Is, is that what it was, John? A million? Yeah, it was a million people. Sunday. A million people traveled on Sunday. Yep. Uh, just as the CDC oh. told, told people not to travel for Thanksgiving. <laughs> wow! 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 Um, John Fackler, you want you want to mention anything about COVID, or are you too yeah, fixated on that bird you're going to be eating on Thursday? <laughs> um, no, actually, I don't know if the news that broke today was mentioned by Fauci, but there's now a third vaccine, AstraZeneca. It's been approved. Um, apparently, it's 60% plus um, efficiency rates, uh, efficacy rate, excuse me. But if it's taken with two doses, it's closer to 90%. So now you got three drugs. Uh, so that's a little bit of uh, uh, good news here going forward. Great. Okay. Fantastic. So um, why don't we get into our first article? And, again, we're going to talk about three articles um, uh, this segment. We're going to take a break, then we're going to talk about another three articles. The way I'll do it is I'll go to one of the uh, current or former journalists, I'll ask them to comment, and I'll ask a second person to, and we'll just keep going on and on and on. And the idea is to try to cut through what we're reading and what we're seeing in terms of headlines and really sort of understand the impact of sort of um, how and what is going down. So, yes, our first piece, let's go to John Gruss. Uh, John, this is going to come out of CNBC. The headline is J.P. Morgan, which is the large investment bank. J.P. Morgan becomes the first major bank to say first quarter GDP will decline because of the COVID surge. So they're predicting uh, forward. Now, here's some of the key points from CNBC. Uh, point number one, J.P. Morgan in its 2021 outlook now says first quarter growth will be negative due to the spreading virus and associated restrictions. Point number two, Wall Street had been expecting a positive first quarter and improving growth next year because of this um, optimism about, about the vaccine. And point number three, 
J.P. Morgan economists expect to see expansion in the second and third quarters based on positive news about vaccines. Um, what say you, Jean? Is J.P. Morgan a little bit too pessimistic, too negative, or are they maybe reading it correct? What, well, what do you think? Well, you got to remember they're they're looking at the, at, the, at the economy of the country as a whole. So um, yes. it really depends where you live. I mean, if you if you live in an area that is um, doesn't doesn't have these issues, uh, restrictions, and all these kinds of things, well, your economy is probably going to do a whole lot better than uh, a large city that completely shuts down economic activity. So, I mean, the thing is, is that you know what I would want to know is is uh, their forecast for Florida and uh, South Florida in particular. I think uh, that would be useful. Got it. Got it. Got it. And um, Brian, you you have any thoughts on that? But but before I do, let, let me read you a quote that comes out of the report. And this is from again from CNBC. Um, the economy now faces a headwind of increasing restrictions on activity. The holiday season from Thanksgiving through New Year's threatens a further increase in cases. Um, what, what do you think, Brian? Is the vaccine going to be the going to save us, or are we basically just kind of grind through it and we're not going to come up on the other side until? Q2 of 2021 or possibly even the second half of 2021? What's your take? Well, according to even Governor DeSantis, he says the vaccine might start being delivered in late December, maybe mid-December if we're lucky. Perhaps 20 million people could be dosed initially. So it's not going to get to the wide public first. It's going to go to the first responders and nursing homes first. So until it really starts impacting consumer behavior, that's going to be a while. Uh, it'll be into next year, hopefully in the first quarter, maybe the second quarter. It depends on how quickly they can manufacture, roll it out, distribute it around the world. Countries are going to be fighting over it. You heard at the G20, they're fighting over it. And really yes. w- what's going to happen is it depends what is your economy based on. Places like Florida are going to be hurt more because we depend on tourism. And tourist behavior, while they're they're doing a little bit more, it's it's not going to return to normal. You're not, you're, even if you completely open the gates, and in some places they have, they're not packing things because people aren't going. You know, people, you know, attendance at Universal is down. Attendance at Disney is down. They're, you know, they're not meeting, meeting capacity. Why? Because still a lot of people are nervous about going. In airlines, yeah. there's no restriction on airlines and how many, most airlines are not restricting number of people it's naturally being restricted because people are naturally nervous so until people feel more comfortable that's what's going to be holding things back which is a perfect segue for story number two let me go to john Sackler on this john this is coming out of reuters headline panic buying of toilet paper hits us stores again with new pandemic restrictions and the dateline is los angeles slash new york and here we go john first couple graphs Toilet paper aisles are emptying again as COVID-19 curfews and shutdowns in the states from California to New York send pandemic-weary shoppers on a new scramble for the essentials. Walmart on Friday said it was seeing pockets of lower-than-normal availability for toilet paper and cleaning supplies in some communities as infections rage virtually unchecked across most of the United States. John, as of Friday afternoon, 22 states have imposed restrictions aimed at decreasing spread of the virus, giving rise to a new round of panic buying from shoppers and purchase limits from retailers, including targeting Kroger, the nation's largest supermarket chain. What to you, John? Do you have enough toilet paper? And are these people overreacting, or do you think they're uh, simply going to be well-prepared for uh, the unknown? Let me preface my comments by saying I'm fully stocked with toilet paper as well as (laughs) wipes. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, you know, 
I, you know, I didn't foresee that coming. Um, I just happened to, you know, just out of convenience to fuck up. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, you know, I could see again, another big run on the big, um, uh, uh, the big, big markets, the Costco's of the world. I thought it was interesting in the story mentioned that, uh, um, other places like Dollar Tree and <laughs> Dollar stores are not having the problem. So everybody's hitting the big, um, you know, retailers, but the, the dollar stores have got plenty. And so that's, that's going to be good business for the dollar stores. I think like they could actually, uh, you know, keep this, keep it in stock and sell it. Uh, good news for them. Not so good news for, um, people looking for toilet paper. Wow. Wow. Um, John, I want to get your take, but let me read a graph out of the, um, article. It says at a Costco in Washington state where new rules include temporary bans on indoor dining out of stock, uh, items include toilet paper, paper towels, cleaning wipes, gloves, and spam. And spam. Yes. Who would have thought outside of Hawaii <laughs> that uh, there'd be a run on spam? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You know, 10 days ago, I was actually on the west coast of Florida in the Fort Myers area. And I did stop into a Walmart uh, to buy a few things. And the, the toilet paper and paper aisle was cleaned out. Uh, I was shocked because we hadn't even we hadn't even started talking about the shortage of toilet paper already, and already um, there there seemed to have been a run on the on the paper towels and the toilet paper. I, I was pretty surprised. Um, you know, I read a story today that said that um, Clorox is producing a million wipes a day, um, and they can't keep up with demand. They got their factories running 24/7. Um, you know, it's just it's just um, this kind of panic buying is is you know it's going to calm down. I think people will realize that it's just ridiculous. And um, there's plenty of toilet paper. The manufacturers are online, and um, I, th- I think I think we're going to have enough toilet paper in the end. But but what do you think? Uh, what do you think the psychology is? Why are people stocking up on toilet paper? especially if there's a vaccine supposedly coming. And, you know, according to Dr. Fauci, we could have some sort of level of herd immunity uh, come uh, second, third quarter of 2021. What's, what, what's the rationale? Yeah, I think it's just human nature, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's like buying gas when, when, when there's a storm out in the, on the, um, uh, on the Gulf, you know. I mean, uh, you're, you're going to fill up your tank. Uh, you're not going to – there's plenty of gas. It's just that everybody's buying it all at once. So – you know, no one wants to not, die with a dirty ass. It's kind of like that. What, what was that saying? Uh, you, you never leave the house with dirty underwear in case it's your final day or something. Wasn't there some saying about that? So, anyways, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, story number three. Um, uh, Brian, let, let's let's go to you. This is coming out of uh, uh, Channel Six uh, NBC affiliates in South Florida. Um, headline: Broward School District warn of draconian budget cuts and Broward 8,500 students have left uh, the district altogether. Let me read you the first couple of graphs, Brian. Uh, the pandemic could lead to severe budget cuts in local public schools. The Broward County School District said Wednesday that uh, could be a reality in the upcoming months and distance learning may be at the center of it all. The issue isn't unique to Broward. However, it would disproportionately impact them since uh, there have been uh, so many students choosing remote learning rather than actually showing up at the facility. Many parents were relieved Wednesday night after they learned Florida Department of Education decided to allow families a choice to continue with e-learning through the end of the school year. However, it could come at a significant cost to the districts. Brian, what's, uh, you, you have children who are going to school. 
what, what, what do you make of this? I mean, are they sort of figuring out as they go, or do you think there's actually some sort of strategy here? And, and how comfortable are you with that strategy? Well, I think the strat- there's a local strategy, and then there's a statewide strategy, right? Uh, I think lo- locally, uh, they're trying. A lot of people in Broward County are embracing distance learning. They may not like it, but they're doing it. I mean, I have three kids in Broward County Public Schools, and they're all doing distance learning right now. I, we could send them back, yes, but we're not comfortable doing that at the moment. We're watching how the cases look, um, and we're hoping that you know we'll, we'll find a better situation. But right now, we're not comfortable. And and the majority of of, of parents and children in in South Florida have, are doing remote learning. Same thing in Miami. Same thing in, in Palm Beach. Other counties in the state, especially more rural counties, they're showing up more to school physically. But, you know, the parents are making that choice. And, and, and I think the Broward schools are saying, look, we are, we're allowing our schools to be open. The parents are choosing to stay home. So, what, so this is not like our policy here. This is what the people are wanting. But the state is reluctant to fund that at the full level. So, you know, we need to see what the state's going to do here. Got it, got it, got it. And, and, and John Factor, let, let, let me go to you and let me read a graph, uh, a quote in here. So it comes from the school um, uh, 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 Runseed School District uh, uh, Chairman. Excuse me, let me give you his exact title. Story's kind of bouncing around here. I think there's, I don't think, here we go. Superintendent Robert Runseed, he's the one who runs Broward County. What he says is, we've indicated that we could lose up to $200 million or more going in the second half of the school year. Runseed said, any cuts of that nature that come in is going to absolutely impact our schools, our classrooms. It's generally going to impact jobs resources and programs. John, um, uh, the federal government, it was talked about for a long time, was going to offer as part of its stimulus series of stimulus packages, they, they were going to backstop uh, government uh, uh, to be able to provide services during the pandemic. That backstop never came through. And as a result, there's a lot of people going to be uh, losing out on unemployment benefits real quickly. And there's going to be municipalities who are taking on debt in order to keep, sort of keep things going. Um, uh, is this the first of many cuts we could hear about? coming down the pike simply because no stimulus package came down to sort of backstop all the municipalities? Well, you know, when it comes down to it, everything's politics. Um, I lived in Broward for many years. I can tell you it's a highly educated, it's also a very democratic uh, county. So anytime I hear of issues like this, whether it's coming from the state or the federal government, I start to, it starts to reek of politics for me. Obviously, um, you know, um, DeSantis being a Republican, the state being Republican-led, um, I start to wonder how much of that has any kind of influence on something like this. Another shocking thing with the 8,500 people who left the district. Where did they go? There was a, in fact, the photo cut line in the uh, article mentioned the 8,500. Where, where did they go? They, they moved out of the out of the county. I don't think they necessarily moved out. I think I think most of them either decided to go to private schools, okay. where they're you know early on private early on. There were school, remember, school had to be all virtual in Broward, right? So okay. A lot of yeah. parents didn't want that, so they immediately put their kids in private schools that were doing it in person. Uh, some kids, some people might have just thought, you know what, if I'm going to do virtual school, I'm going to do Florida State one virtual school. So that's another option you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there's also a, a certain percentage of people who don't have reliable access to Internet. Uh, and yeah. unfortunately, those people, as much as the district tried to help them, they may not be participating in school or maybe they didn't enroll their kids in school. You know, like if you had a kindergartner and you didn't have access to the Internet and 
you weren't on, you know, you you weren't on file already, you may not have yeah. done it. So unfortunately, I think yeah. some fa- some families might have fallen through the cracks there. But families like yours, wow. Brian, and others, um, like in New York, which is, online um, learning is really being embraced. I think you, you see that more with the de- on the Democratic side than on the Republicans, where they're really pushing to have in-person learning. Uh, they're not as either familiar or as accepting of online distance learning. So there might be a you know a little component of that play, at play here. But I don't know, I, I oh. don't know if it's that Democrats like online learning more. I think it's just that there. I just think there's a there seems to be the blue state people want to uh, be more cautious about the virus for whatever reason. In these counties, we are also remember we are more we are more dense populations. Uh, right. So we we're a little more concerned of that. Uh, you know, other counties maybe weren't as concerned because they were rural, but unfortunately, a lot of the outbreaks are now in rural counties. So counties that were thinking, oh, it can never happen here, we don't have a lot of people, are finding that it can happen uh, in those That's counties as well. You know, so uh, so that that might be a, a different. Plus, yeah. a lot of the rural counties they don't have the uh, resources. They don't. They may not all have internet access. A lot of rural parts of the country, you know, they don't have the same kind of internet access we do. We kind of take that for granted. True. Wow. All right, guys, why don't we go ahead and we'll take our first commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're going to get into a whole variety of stories, including the number of South, a number of Floridians who, who have told surveyors that they are behind on their mortgage and or their rent. We're also going to talk about a developer up in Fort Lauderdale who's actually going to go forward with a brand new project. And we're going to talk about um, uh, Canadians who are critical of the local economy. What's going on uh, with Canadians and what's going on in Canada? So uh, stay tuned. We'll catch up on the other side of the break. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. We are having a discussion about some of the biggest headlines that occurred within the last week that could be impacting the local uh, economy as well as the real estate market. Who do we got? We got Brian Bandell. He's a senior reporter over at the South Florida Business Journal. He's also an author. I have John Groose. John used to write about uh, business in Florida for 25 years. Now he has his own public relations and marketing firm. And we also have John Fassler, who used to write about white-collar crime as well as public traded companies. And now he also is doing consulting. So, Mr. Fackler, let's go to you on story number four. This is coming out of the Tampa area. This is Bay News 9, Spectrum News out of the Tampa area. Here's the headline. A census survey, 51% of Florida homes aren't current on rent or mortgage. Yep, you heard me. One out of every two, more than one out of every two people in Florida have told survey takers that they're not current. They're behind on their rent or on their mortgage. Let me give you the first couple graphs, Sean. More than 51% of Florida adults say they live in households that aren't current on the rent or mortgage payments, higher than any other state, according to data released Wednesday by the U.S. Census Bureau. Those respondents of the Bureau's household pulse survey also said they think eviction or foreclosure is at least somewhat likely in the next two months. John, first of all, are you uh, current? And second of all, what do you think of the piece? <laughs> I have to be current. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Um, well done. Um, yeah, but uh, look, this is uh, really, I mean, this is essentially um, 
proving my prediction from um, several weeks ago. Um, You've made so many predictions. You've made so many predictions. You always claim you're right on a prediction. Go ahead. Okay. Let's hear this. Well, this one I might actually be right on because I was saying there was so much of a backup um, on the moratorium for the rent and 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 mortgages as well um, that it's going to reach a point where it's just going to be just it's going to burst. And it looks like that's being reported now. Uh, There had been stories, uh, news about um, a fraction of the numbers let alone, but 51%, is that the number, 51, 52? It's shocking. Uh, 51.6% of Floridians based on the survey. But but I will tell you, the margin of error in this study is 12.8%. Well, it's a pretty big margin of error, error. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. huge, huge, huge. Yeah, but so I'm not, um, you know, obviously not surprised since we've been talking about it. I didn't think, what I am surprised is the number because that's, that's ridiculous compared to a few months ago they were talking about less than a, 25 percent um yeah much less than 25 percent now suddenly we're, we're over 50 percent so uh and again the lack of the stimulus which looks like it's not coming um yeah, for, fortunately biden is probably going to be here to save the day but even that's going to take months to implement so um i think that number is going to climb john um let, let me go to you uh w- one point is we just finished the presidential election where the surveys, um, uh, the opinion polls, weren't necessarily correct. So I just want that in the back of your head. How much confidence do you have in this figure of 50, almost 52% of respondents saying that they're behind? Um, and also, too, how much of this do you think is coming from the fact that we live in a, like Brian referenced, we live in a state that's based on tourism uh, as well as visitors. And, um, you know, we're not seeing too many visitors right now. And there's the economic stimulus, this next round that was supposed to come, it never actually arrived. So what what what's the usual? Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a real divergence between the actual data of of people who are behind on their mortgage or behind on their rent, the, the actual data that's out there, um, and and the survey, the survey, you know, is um, is polling people's expectations, and um, so you know whether that actually happens or not, it's. Um, going to be very interesting to see and it's going to sort of play out because right now the data does not does not reflect that the hard data from lenders and um and uh from uh large large landlords uh real estate investment <coughs> trusts that own large uh apartment portfolios are certainly not reporting uh this kind this level of of um of people falling behind on their rents. So, you know, it's very, it's very difficult to tell, you know, what, what exactly is going to happen. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to note the divergence between this, just the survey and the actual data that's so far been, been reported. So I, I would just have to say, you have to be very careful about, um, you know, the data that you use or, or what, what you're looking at um, before, um, you know, before making any kinds of um, calls on what's going to happen. Got it, got it, got it. John, let, let me go to you on story number five. <laughs> this, is coming out of, this is coming out of Bloomberg. And the headline is, Canadian housing market gets re- reality check with drop in sales. Now, 
Why am I talking about Canadians? And I'm going to want Brian to go into this as well. Uh, John, I'm going to you on it because a couple of weeks ago you made a prediction that you thought the Canadians were going to dry up in South Florida. And the reason Canadians are important is that they fill our, our hotel rooms and they buy the real estate down here. And during the wintertime, many of them get in their car and they drive on down if they don't want to fly on down. So that's sort of the premise. So, so John, l- l- let me tell you what the story says. It says, uh, again, Canadian housing market gets reality check with drop in sales. Uh, two points, October transactions declined for the first time since April. Point number two, still conditions are tight with inventory at record low levels. But first couple graphs, um, Canadian home sales dropped for the first time since April as the real estate rush of recent months wanes. National home sales declined by nearly a percentage point in October from a month earlier. Canadian Real Estate Association reported Monday. Benchmark prices rose 1% from September, bringing the gain since April to 7%. So, uh, John, what, uh, what, what do you make of that? I mean, if the market's uh, cooling off in Canada, uh, what, what could that mean for South Florida, not only in terms of uh, sales, but also hospitality and money uh, that Canadians can burn down here during this winter tourism season, if they come at all? Yeah, I mean, look, the uh, the border's closed, right? So I think it's closed until December twenty first. Yeah, for driving, yeah, for, for driving, is, you know, for driving. Yeah, so look, snow snowbirds uh, from Canada uh, who are going to be driving uh, probably not going to come down, uh, if at all. And um, you know, Canadians were the largest foreign buyers of Florida real estate in twenty nineteen, um, and. Um, I, you know, that's not going to happen this year. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a huge, huge issue. Uh, I think I think Floridians need to be very concerned about it. Got it. And Brian, you're you're at the vanguard of uh, all the Canadians and the investments that are going on down here in South Florida with these stories you're writing. What, what are you mm-hmm. hearing from some of the investors? And you have written in recent weeks and months about Canadians who are coming down here and they're buying dirt. Maybe not necessarily for right now, but actually for the future. So what's the sense you get? And is the Canadian a slowdown, potential slowdown in the Canadian market? How much do you think that could impact uh, investment down here? So I, I think I've seen Canadians buying luxury homes here. In fact, I reported, you know, uh, an $11 million luxury home sale by a Canadian last week in Fort Lauderdale. So I think the, for the luxury market, the people couldn't afford to fly. They're definitely looking down here. <clears throat> it's probably hurting the, the middle-class Canadian who would normally come down and snowbird. But uh, I, I get the sense that they're still very much interested in, in our market. Home sales here are going much stronger. I think it's just perhaps because it's harder to get in and out of Canada, that might be impacting their, their home sales. Remember, Canada also has, uh, in, in the past, foreign investments, right? You get people from China buying in Canada, people from Europe buying in Canada, you know they have they have a pretty strong immigration system. So once once that slows down due to COVID, I think there's a little bit less incentive for people you know to buy, to buy in Canada because of the border situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, great point, great point. Okay, uh, story number six. Brian, you actually wrote this story, and uh, it's coming out of the South Florida Business Journal. Headline: Symbol redesigns Fort Lauderdale apartment project won't move the rain tree. Won't move the rain tree. Um, Brian, 800 apartments are being proposed in two towers. But if memory serves me correct, wasn't this announced the previous cycle? Well, it was announced the previous cycle as something different called Marina Loss when it was about almost 1,000 units uh, in three towers. And they were going to redevelop a marina. They were going to move a century-old African rain tree, which caused a bunch of the uh, people who love trees to be very upset. Yes. Uh, and, And, you know, he got approval through it. 
At that time, it was going to be a condo. It was designed by Jark Ingalls, who's very well That's known, right. uh, the Danish architect, you know, who did a, a lot of a Grove at Grand Bay projects here. Um, but yes. it kind of languished. It sat there for seven years. He didn't move forward. And in the end, it wasn't the Lorax from Dr. Seuss that saved the tree. It was the power transmission <laughs> line that saved the tree. Uh, so what happened is in order to build the three towers like he wanted to, not only did he have to move the tree, he had to move power transmission lines. And he realized okay. that that was really, really expensive. Uh, and so he redesigned the project, renamed it the Rain Tree Riverwalk Residences, and they're going to keep the rain tree in place. They're going to treat the power lines in place. It'll be two towers instead of one. Uh, and they won't okay. move, redevelop the marinas. And, and, oh, by the way, instead of condos, it's going to be apartments now because, you know, selling condos is a little tougher uh, today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so, so Brian, what, what about the Pirate Cafe? And this is kind of tongue-in-cheek. Um, on the south bank of the New River, uh, you have this sort of, yeah, I call it a gritty up-and-coming area. Most of the stuff used to occur on the north bank of the river. South bank of the river was a little, little sketchy, if you will. And there's a cafe there called the Pirate Cafe, at least there was. I think that was a pirate bar and cafe or pirate pirate something, pirate lounge, um, uh, where the tree is actually located. A a any word on that, and is that place famous enough to even consider? Well, I know that the the part that they're going to redevelop right now is basically the vacant part, uh, okay. not the marina. So any any not, the buildings there that are part of the marina are going to stay. Uh, there is going okay. to be a new restaurant. Uh, that's going to be part of this. His building's going to have a restaurant facing the river with a public river walk. So I don't know if the Pirate Cafe will come back, but there will be another opportunity for a restaurant there. Got it. And if anybody's wondering about it, the official name, the Pirate Republic Seafood Restaurant, is, again, on the south bank of the river. So, listen, I, I wish um, Asi all the uh, luck in the world with that. Um, uh, what, what, did Asi say why he's doing, why he's going forward right now? Is that simply because it's going to take so long to get it delivered and he wants to be right out of the ground when the market turns? Or is, is it because of cheap financing? Did, did, did he offer any kind of insight as to uh, why now? Well, his attorney basically said that the, that the, the market for apartments is good that there is a good market for getting financing for apartments right now. And you've seen a number of apartment de developments get financing. So I think that's that's the idea. They could get – you look at the market, they're making loans. You look at what the kind of rents people are getting for apartments right now, they're still pretty good. So I think there's some opportunity right there for uh, for, for him. So we'll see. We'll see what happens when he goes to the bank. But at the, at the very least, he ha he has an idea that – you know, that's more possible right now. You can't, you know, uh, you know, right now, the other idea was too cost prohibitive when you, when you tried to make, make it the dollars work. So at least this is the deal that, that can work if you get financing. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, uh, John, um, you, you live in Broward for quite some time. You know Fort Lauderdale very well. Um, this project would go up on the south bank of the river. It would be probably about three blocks or so west of where the Publix is, which is right off of, um, uh, what is that, Andrews. There's been a lot of development going on uh, in and around there. Um, at what point uh, does it become too much? Because anybody who knows downtown Fort Lauderdale, they know Flagler Village is just booming, and they just keep putting them up. They know there's this uh, whole series of rentals that related and others have put up. PMG just did that project. We used to have the um, the outdoor mall. Um, uh, John, is, uh, how much is too much, and do you think that the Fort Lauderdale market is big enough and deep enough to be able to support another 800 units? 
that Aussie uh, symbol is uh, predicting, or excuse me, proposing. Yeah, Brown seems to be the um, the place to go now uh, with new construction, whether it's apartments or condo, uh, as if you know Miami-Dade has been um, brought to uh, a, a level that it can't really absorb too much more. So, but uh, you know, I, I just um, now I'll leave I'll leave the hard analysis to the real estate experts on this panel. I just wanted to say I wanted to preface that um, as a tree hugger, um, <laughs> <laughs> the board of tears to my eye. I'm so happy the tree is being left. Um, I think it's a good, it's, a, it's an excellent marketing ploy uh, going forward. You never know. There's a lot of tree huggers in Broward, so um, it might actually be <laughs> it might be an actual successful project. Interesting. Okay. And on that note, let's go ahead. We'll take our next commercial break. On the other side of the break, I'm going to ask the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. Challenging times for real estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBR Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Kind of Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is the prediction segment of our podcast. This is where I ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. Given the fact that this is Thanksgiving week, given the fact that this is a symbolic start of the winter buying season down here in South Florida, uh, the run typically is from Thanksgiving on to about Easter or Passover, say April, sometime in there. Why don't we ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction as to what's going to pertain and what's going to uh, happen during our winter buying season, again, which is uh, Thanksgiving up until about Easter or Passover. So let's start off with uh, John Gruce. John, uh, what, what say you? What can people count on coming down the plane? Well, I, you know what? I think the hotels are going to do a whole lot better than we expected. Um, I've been uh, ah. following some st- some stories that uh, the hotels uh, in uh, – in Miami are um, filling up with people for this uh, Thanksgiving week. And um, I I think the hotels are going to do a whole lot better uh, this winter. And I'm talking about Thanksgiving through Christmas than we expect. And that actually is good news for real estate because as we all know, hospitality is the driver for real estate sales. And um, I I think, uh, I think uh, we might be surprised on that count. So, so John, just to just to clarify, hotels are going to do well. You're talking about overnight occupancies, or are you talking about the price uh, per night um, that these hoteliers are going to achieve? Yeah, well, right now it's all about getting heads in beds, right? Occupancy. There you go. Okay. Uh, occupancy is the name of the game. It doesn't matter what you get for the room. You got you got to get heads in beds, man. There you go. And hey, listen, I love a deal, so if it's the right. Uh, it's the right price. I might even go out there. I was actually thinking about signing up when um, some of the big cruise lines were talking about having a, like a test run where they would basically give you like a free cruise for a couple of days and see how it played out. But then, unfortunately, one cruise ship got caught up with a bunch of uh, COVID, so that, that all came to a stop, unfortunately. So um, let's let's go to John Fackler. John, uh, what do you predict coming this winter uh, buying season? Well, I, I have to, you know, along the, the lines of heads and beds, I wish my head was in a bed right now. Um, but I, <laughs> Oh, I don't mean to be bothering you. Sorry about that. I know you have a busy day. It's 6 o'clock on a Monday. Yeah, you're 90. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm foretelling a a comment that we got from uh, one of our listeners who uh, 
gave me a shot, but uh, that's okay. We'll oh, get oh, to that oh, later. Oh, old man Fackler, old man Fackler, to get you back on point. What's your prediction? Because yeah. the comment section is next segment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. You, you, you insinuating dementia? Okay. Um, no, I, I listen. Go. With, this is a holiday week, uh, so, and it's known for a lot of football, which is my favorite sport. Um, so unfortunately, I'm going to have to make another sports uh, prediction. And my prediction is this: the hapless, low-slung, and winless New York Jets will beat the Miami Dolphins by two touchdowns this weekend. Get out of here. Come on. No way. <laughs> then the Jets Brian, are trying to be 0-16. Why would they mess that up? <laughs> Brian's a fin fan. <laughs> but that's it. I'm going out of the lid like I usually do. So that that's your honest prediction? You're going to make a prediction about the New York Jets? That's a pretty. That's not a prediction. That's like a given if you're saying they're going to lose. But you're saying they're going to win. So I guess that, uh, that would qualify as a prediction because that would be a shocker. <laughs> heard around the world. Um Brian Bendel, what uh, what say you? Well, it was interesting what's going on with the condo market. The, at the beginning of this crisis, uh, the condo market was went down further than single-family homes in terms of sales, uh, and then it recovered much slower. And now in the last couple of months, we've actually had increases in condo sales. And and I'm kind of trying to figure out, is can that continue? And and I have a feeling that we're actually going to see that continue. And I think the luxury condo market is going to see an increase increase in South Florida. Um, it started really with luxury mansions. We saw I started to see a lot of $10 million and up mansion sales. Now I'm starting to see more like $10 million and up penthouse sales, you know, and we're certainly seeing like $5 million penthouse sales as well. So I'm thinking that the luxury buyer is beginning to get a little more comfortable with the condo market here, and especially if they're in a like their own pen, you know, if you're in a penthouse and you're not really sharing an elevator with someone or a, or a hallway with someone, right? So it's yeah. a little more secluded. So, and and again, I think again, New York is emptying out. You know, they they just had a story in the New York Post about thirteen thousand, you know, New Yorkers moving to Florida, you know, South Florida specifically since this crisis began. So I think that's going to happen, and I, and I think you know the the, con, the the higher end of the condo market is going to benefit this uh, winter season. Now, now, now Brian, just to clarify, just to clarify, just like I was clarifying with John, so so deals are trading. Are they trading at a premium, or are sellers cutting bait in order to get uh, traction and get a, a transaction to occur? So yeah, I mean, the, Florida, the, the Florida realtors numbers show that the number of sales are up. And that the average price, the median price is up. Now, it's not necessarily saying whether the units are selling at a gain or a loss. From from what I believe, though, from what I've been seeing, it depends on the thought, right? If you bought yeah. your unit three years ago, you're you're probably selling at a loss. I don't think they've recovered that value. If you bought your unit ten years ago, you're probably selling at a gain because it's still probably better than that, right? If if you bought it like coming out of the last cycle when things were in the shitter, things, yeah. you know, things might have gone up uh, and then come back down a little, but you're still up from the, you know, the bottom basement level. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, for my prediction, and uh, it, let me just say, it's been it's being reported um, as, as we go ahead and we record this podcast that Janet Yellen, who used to be the head of the, the Fed, is probably going to be named the Treasury Secretary for um, uh, 
Joe Biden's, uh, President-elect uh, Biden's um, uh, administration going forward. So here's my prediction. My prediction is come uh, Inauguration Day when uh, President-elect Biden comes into office, I think the spigot is going to open in a dramatic way to backstop this financial system and the U.S. economy. So I could really sort of see a run in the stock market as well as potentially the housing market uh, going forward, simply because uh, you're going to have someone at Treasury who's going to speak the same language, know the same players as, uh, uh, you know, where, where she used to operate. And I think that's going to open up uh, the lines of communication and things are going to be able to go through uh, relatively quickly, even if Congress can't necessarily do it. I think the feds will be able to take all kinds of steps to kind of flood the market with cash in anticipation of trying to jumpstart this economy. And the question is, why are they going to do it? Because I think we're going to have some sort of shutdown or we're going to have some restrictions that are going to be put in place by the Biden administration once they come into power. And the only way they can do it is if they flood the market with money. So that would be my prediction. Money's coming, but also so our restrictions nationally would be my prediction uh, come January the 20th. So that being said, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break, and then we're going to get into the comments. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of Greater Downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is the comment section uh, of the podcast. If you have any comments, you want to make a suggestion, you want to make a compliment, you, you, want, to, you want to criticize, you want to... Uh, ask a question. We want to hear from you. All the comments we get, we listen to, or excuse me, we read on the air on these uh, Wednesday reported roundtables. So, Mr. Fackler, oh, let, let me remind you, if you want to send a comment, send an email to inquire at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Mr. Fackler, uh, what do we got? We have uh, two separate comments from our regular listener, Ilya, from the Treasure Coast. Ilya. Yes. First one, Ilya comments, I believe it's podcast number 72, Mayor Doral. 72. Yes, that's the real estate players profile. Uh, it came out on Friday. It is a one-hour conversation with J.C. Bermudez, One Colors Bermudez. He's a land use attorney. He's also the founding mayor of Doral and just been reelected for another term. We talked about uh, all sorts of challenges and opportunities in Durrell. And if anybody says, hmm, I know Durrell, but I can't figure out why, that's where the Trump National Resort is located down here in South Florida. So uh, go ahead, John. What, what does Ilya have to say? I thought Durrell was just a hub for trucks and logistics companies. Thank you for the eye-opener. <laughs> how, how one guy can be a major of a town and also run a law practice, I can barely get a spoon of cereal in my mouth without hitting the eye. Nicely done. Uh, Ilya also makes the comment that uh, he thought it was a very nice addition uh, uh, that you added web links to the description of the podcast, which saves him time uh, instead of Googling when trying to find details of your guests. Good move. Well, um, uh, if, I, if I can, John, yeah. if I can. Um, sure. No, I've always had the links there. I'm not sure why Ilya is just saying it now, but the links have always been put up there. But also, too, um, I wanted to mention to you guys uh, something interesting. So we, we all know Winwood. 
And when you think of Wynwood, you're thinking about arts, uh, you're thinking about wall murals, you're thinking about, you know, all the great restaurants and stuff like that going on. Well, what's interesting about Durrell is Durrell started off, it was unincorporated until 2003, so they had some old crappy warehouses out there. Uh, the city has just changed uh, some zoning, and they are going to allow some of these old crappy warehouses effectively to have very loose uh, zoning so they can begin to poach artists who no longer want to pay the high rents in either, whether it be Little Haiti, Little Havana, or Wynwood, and they want to get them out to uh, the Durrell area. So you could have, going forward, you could have a brand-new district out there in Durrell, which is really sort of based and focused on um, art and wall murals and things like that. So, anyways, uh, go ahead, John. Okay, this second uh, co um, comment has to do with the uh, last roundtable. I think it's Podcast 71. Um, okay. And he mentions that he feels there are too many real estate transactions, and he's not sure why we think that this is not sustainable. There are different types of buyers that are buyers are buying in droves. So he gave me a short version, um, and this has to do with given um, has to do with my ability um, to, I guess, take this all in. Um, he's giving me a short version, and in the short version. I think he's implying I'm a low-energy person uh, by saying this. <laughs> you just said you want to go to sleep at 6 o'clock. I mean, he's, he's not well, far off. <laughs> so, so he says the short version, in case John is tired, um, the economy is doing okay. People are employed. Low rates is a major factor, a major driver, excuse me, which allows people to switch from renting to owning for more or less the same money. Uh, then he, it's interesting that he brings up um, – Brian's comment, um, he feels the COVID scare is bringing us people from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and so forth, as well as um, as well condo people. Um, the question he has is, why are secondary market condos not falling in price? Who is buying these suckers? Brian, what, 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 what say you? Well, yeah, well that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think there there is demand. For, for some of these condos if the price falls down low enough. Uh, you know, uh, the thing is, single-family homes are real expensive, right? So a number of people are looking for single-family homes, and they can't afford it. So some of the people moving down don't make quite as much money. A condo is what they can afford. So that's that's uh, what they're moving into. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. Okay, anybody else? Um, John, has he got anything else to say, or is that it? That covers it pretty much. Again, that was a short version. So, okay, fantastic. So again, if you the listener, if you want to uh, reach out to us, send us a comment, send an email to inquiry at condovultures dot com. I n q u i r y at condovultures dot com. So, that is Brian Bandell. He's a senior reporter at the South Florida Business Journal. He's also an author. You can find his books on Amazon. We also have Jean Gruss. John used to write about uh, business in, in uh, excuse me, in the state of Florida for over 25 years, worked at the Tampa Tribune. Right now, his own public relations marketing firm called Goose Communication. That's John Factor. He used to work at the South Florida Business Journal, where he covered white collar crime as well as public trade companies based in South Florida. And I'm Peter Zalewski. If you're not yet a subscriber, please go ahead and do so wherever you get your uh, podcast. And if you like what we're doing, give us a uh, rating. Give us a comment. Uh, the more comments and ratings we get, the more likely we are to spread our message and help us to bring some straight talk to an overhyped real estate market. Until then, uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we'll catch you real soon. Ciao, ciao.